This is a Rooster Teeth production. Welcome everyone to Annual Pass. This is the second episode. I am very, very pumped up. This is the place where we share our love of theme parks, as well as some news about the world of amusements. I am your host, Jack Patillo, and as with me, as with me? That doesn't make sense. With me, as always, is my beautiful co-host, Jeff Ramsey. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. We'll see how long I'm with you, as always, <laughs> if you're going to introduce me like that each week. Good Lord. What? Wait, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> That's good. Dude, dude, the audience doesn't know that that was not the first take. They don't. That was my second take very shortly after the first. I, dude, I'm still I'm still getting like the, the early podcast jitters out. Jeff, so we're recording this. Today Today is March 30th. Yeah. We haven't announced the podcast yet. This the, You're listening to this. It's April 29th. So we're yeah. recording this a full month ahead of time so by now you will have known about it for almost a month but in our world we haven't announced it and it's driving me crazy because i just want to tell people about this thing i'm so excited for it and i was i just want to i want to bring it out to the audience i want the audience to hear this and to hopefully love it and to uh you know write reviews share it all of that stuff speaking of which Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're annual underscore pass on those. And if you have anything you want to share with us, you can email us annualpass at roosterteeth.com. But uh, we got a good one today, Jeff. Okay. Today, we're going to be talking about the great movie ride. It's the ride I worked at. When I worked at Disney, I worked there. The great movie ride. You worked on that in Orlando at Disney. And didn't you work there twice? So did you work on that same ride twice? I did. I did not work at the same ride twice. So there's a thing called uh, the college program. We'll get into that in the future uh, for future episodes. Right now, it's actually they're not doing the college program right now mm. due to COVID and everything. But it's essentially you go live in Disney owned apartment complexes as a college kid and work in the theme parks and get college credit for it. It's like a dream come true for a nerd like me. <laughs> and I did it twice. But before gotcha. we dive into the great movie ride. Let's, let's talk about some general news. What's going on around the world of theme parks? Catch me up on this world I just discovered. <laughs> I'm very excited. Well, it's again, it's going to be interesting. Keep in mind, you know, we are recording this way, way in advance. So some of the stuff might be outdated. So I'm trying to hit more general kind of like, all right, this is kind of cool news. Not necessarily like specific, like, you know, here we go like this. Anyway, yeah. Big news. First of all, Universal Hollywood. So we talked last time about how Disney World's opening back up. On April 30th, I believe, was the target date for it. Universal Studios Hollywood, they announced they're opening up on April 16th for California residents. So by now, it's open, but uh, it's just showing you that these parks are starting to open back up again, hopefully doing responsibly and, you know, going through uh, safety measures. I know, like, in Orlando, you know, Florida caught kind of a bad rap because they really didn't take COVID very seriously. But mm. I know people who have gone to the parks, and they said they felt incredibly safe the whole time. Disney will shut down rides for like every other hour, every like once every three hours to completely clean them, like do like yeah. deep cleanings, which, you know, sounds awesome. I mean, it also means there are crazy, crazy wait times because, you know, a ride will shut down. So it's like, all right, so people wait. And also the funny thing is the physical lines are incredibly long because they're distanced lines. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Imagine how many people wait in line to go see some crazy ride in a ride space mountain or something, but then add six feet in between every group of people. And so now you're getting these just physically massive, massive lines. So uh, that's definitely interesting. But apparently they're doing a good job. And as far as I can tell, there have been no like massive breakouts or anything. And now that the vaccine's out there, um, I know I've got the vaccine. So I'm excited to possibly get out there and feel a little bit safer personally, uh, you know, going out and actually checking out some theme parks pretty soon, hopefully. So anyway, Universal Studios Hollywood's opening up. In other Universal news, Jeff, how many parks have you been to, Jeff? How many how many actual like physical theme parks have you been to? Like uh, Disney Universal, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've been to Universal, I've been to Dis both Disney's. Okay. I guess there's more than two. <laughs> Does Epcot count as a separate place? No, that's Disney World. Yeah, uh, I've been to at least three, six, five, I thought six, five or six, maybe. Okay, quite a few. But so there's this trend that kind of kicked off in like the 90s where these theme parks would basically have kind of like a launch pad into the theme park, kind of like shops and restaurants and cool stuff. So like Universal yeah. Hollywood has like the city center. Disney has downtown Disney and Hollywood and uh, Orlando is a little bit different, but they have Disney Springs, which is their big shopping area over there. So the Universal area out in Orlando, they are opening up a brand new store. They actually just opened it. It's the Universal Legacy Store. And I'm really, really excited to check this out. I know it sounds weird to be like, I'm excited to go check out a store. But 
inside the Universal Legacy store, they have classic stuff from when they first opened the park back in the early 90s. So like they have the proton packs from the Ghostbusters show and they have like design sketches from like confrontation and really early looks at the park. They have like a bunch of old, old props, old Beetlejuice stuff. They have a gargoyle from the the old arch they have out there and they have a bunch of stuff. But I mean, it's a shopping area and it's all throwback stuff, too. So it's like the old school, like neon universal sign. So it's actually really, really cool stuff. And I'm a nerd that loves that. And so I'm excited. Hopefully it's going to hang around for a while. It looks like they're going to have this because they're also opening up a brand new universal store where they're going to have all their merchandise from both parks and all their properties and everything, too. That's coming very soon. That's going to be massive. They've been working on this thing for a while. And so hopefully his legacy store sticks around at least until I can get there and check it out. <laughs> I got to say, your enthusiasm is infectious. Now you've got me excited about some store. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the whole thing. Theme parks to me have been a part of my life as long as I can remember. Like, yeah. I, I think I was five or six the first time I went to Six Flags. And I was maybe eight when I went to Disney for the first time. I went to Disney World in the fourth grade. There was a, uh, a thing called Earth Shuttle. It was like a, I don't know what it was exactly. I don't know if it, it was just a thing where basically they would send elementary school kids to Epcot and to other theme parks. And you would go and like do like science stuff at Epcot and like learn some behind the scenes stuff. And my dad tells me stories because I barely remember it. But like when I got there, I immediately took the park map and I was the guide for like this class of fourth graders. So it was like <laughs> tiny little me at the front going, we're going this way. We got to go see Indiana Jones. That was probably 1990, 1989, 1990, because we had to go to Disney MGM like right when it opened. And it opened up in 89 because there was a Muppet show there that they only ran for like a year. And I have vague, vague memories of seeing it. So I know I fit within some window where there was this Muppet show. What was the Muppet show about? It was a live action Muppet show. I think eventually um, if you've been to Disney MGM Studios, now Disney Hollywood Studios, it's where the Little Mermaid show is. Basically, they like redo the movie of the Little Mermaid with puppets you know, live action uh, actress, but then they have like puppets as like Sebastian and like all the other characters and stuff. Really great show. I think it's going away soon. I could be wrong. But in that theater before that, there was a Muppet show and I don't remember much of it, but I do remember the thing that sticks out to me that I remember at the very end, it's I think Sweet Pea runs out and he tells Kermit the monorail's coming and Kermit's like, wait, the monorail doesn't come to Disney MGM Studios. And then the nose cone of a monorail busts through a wall <laughs> And it's Animal driving the monorail, monorail, monorail. And I remember that. Like, I've got that one little, like, snippet of memory of that happening. And so I know I was there for it. And apparently that was, the like, the finale. That was the end scene of that show. So I, I know it exists, and I know it. I, I, well, well, we're going to do an episode on, we're going to do lots of episodes, obviously. But we're going to do an episode on, on different, you know, stage shows, like Beetlejuice's Graveyard Review, which, you know, is now gone, which Universal made a horrible mistake by putting... A Fast and Furious ride there, which <laughs> sounds good in theory. Horrible, horrible ride. But we'll, we'll get to that in the future as well. There's a lot of really cool stage show type things. And I definitely want to talk about more of those. And we'll, we'll get to those in the future. But anyway, my love for these parks goes back a long, long time. And hopefully it's infectious in some sense. And, you know, honestly, you're and, and I mean this seriously, you're, you're kind of providing a service in that. <laughs> You reach an age where you start to see uh, things disappear, right? Yeah. Like you're talking about this Muppet ride. And as they disappear, and we get further and further away from those times, uh, records of them start to disappear, too. And it becomes harder and harder. There's a fascinating subreddit on Lost Media where you can go and have people help you try to find media that you remember from your childhood and stuff that just has been lost to the dustbin of history, you know? And it's, it, it, in all seriousness, not, not even making a joke, but for... People that have this knowledge because of their passion, they should share it, right? Because, <laughs> hope so. You know, Jack, you've got another, you know, six months to 50 years in you. And then once you're <laughs> gone, you're going to take all that theme park knowledge with you. True. But anyway, if, if you got to go check out that Muppet show at Disney MGM Studios when it opened, if you if you saw that show, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram and let us know. And I want to see your responses. I want to see your experiences. And I know there might be some old VHS tape of it somewhere, but I would love to see that again, because when Disney MGM first opened, the Muppets were going to be a really, really massive part of the whole attraction. Here come the Muppets. I think that's it. That's what Ben wrote in chat. Let me see if. Oh, wow. Live show premiered on May 20th. 25th, 1990 at the Disney MGM Studios, Walt Disney World, Florida. That's it. Here come the Muppets. There, yep, there's a photo of it. We'll, we'll post on our Instagram that we'll steal from this Wikipedia page. And if you know <laughs> the park, you know where this marquee is, is exactly where the, the new 
Little Mermaid show is, or not new, but I mean, it's where the Little Mermaid show is now. Yeah. In the animation courtyard area. Wow. Okay, cool. I'm excited. And there's this video clips here. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go through and watch all this later. You, you, you geek out later. You're doing the podcast now. <laughs> and so uh, one last little bit of news. Disney has been pushing this thing online. They released something called Disneyland Forward. Now this kind of caught a lot of people off guard. So Disneyland Forward is this sort of weird promotional thing that Disney put out talking about their California park, their Anaheim park. So in Anaheim, they've got Disney California Adventure and Disneyland. That's where the first park was. Obviously, California Adventure came later. The problem with Anaheim is that they're landlocked. Disney doesn't have the hundreds of acres of space they do in Orlando. So California, they're super stuck in. The city council of Anaheim has a lot of control over sort of what Disney can and can't do because they're smack dab in the middle of a city. Like I, I you've been out there, Jeff, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Cause like you just, you can literally walk out of Disneyland and you're just on a, a normal road. And it's just like, Oh, there's restaurants. Like there's an IHOP. Okay, cool. And it's neat. But the, the experience of Orlando where it's like, you're sort of surrounded by just Disney is, is totally different. And because of that, Disney has been pushing to try to rework zoning and regulations so they can kind of keep working on expanding these parks and what they can make happen. So typically Anaheim is pushed back quite a bit because, uh, you know, Anaheim is a city and they're like, they don't want it. They like the tourism dollars, but they don't like their, you know, their city getting kind of pushed around. They don't like Disney. They don't like corporations telling them what to do. What has happened? The fact that Disneyland has been shut down for over a year now because of COVID all the tourism dollars that typically show up in Anaheim because of Disneyland are all gone. So Disney now suddenly has this upper hand because they're reopening. And so they're kind of pushing their weight around and they're using this interesting Disneyland forward concept, which is a bunch of like concept art and images. And like, this is what we could do if we got the rights to build this. And if we, you know, if we move this road, we could do this. And it's, it's a very, very interesting thing how, how they're leveraging the fact that Anaheim is hurting right now to sort of get their way. And I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with it. Disney Newscast has been covering this at DSNY Newscast. Also, Mickey News on YouTube. I watch all of this stuff. And by all means, watch all of it. I don't want you to think like this is an all be all podcast news information. Go go look at other awesome Disney podcasts and YouTube channels. There's a lot out there. I highly recommend spreading the love. I don't want us to step in and be like, we're the number one. No, no, we, we hopefully we fit in with everyone else. But with that, Disney is basically pitching the idea of expanding Disneyland and California Adventure, where they're going to add more attractions. They're going to have more of a footprint. They can do more space. Even someone saw on one of the, the sort of concept maps that they want to put Wakanda in, which is like, oh, man. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, they want to do a lot of stuff. And especially now, because they're opening up uh, Avengers Campus over at California Adventure. And if that goes well... I mean, they're going to be wanting more land. They're going to be wanting more space to do more stuff like that. And I think they might be kind of throwing a Hail Mary, being like, here's this pie in the sky, everything awesome that we could do. It'll cost us billions of dollars, but that's okay. Just let us do it. Give us the rights to do it. And so, like, it's this weird thing between, like, I love theme parks, I love Disney, versus I also don't want large corporations to be able to push cities around. <laughs> so I'm like in, in this <laughs> weird middle ground of what's going to happen there. But it's something to keep our eye on. And do you think it's too late for me to slide in kind of under the radar my request for Captain Carrot and his amazing new <laughs> properties to be? They can add that to Disneyland Forward. It could be on one of their bullet points. I'm just saying. Wakanda and then... You know, Captain Carrot, um, right underneath it. Just right, like circle on like a, a like with a black sharpie, an area off to the side, <laughs> like it's a projected hurricane path. <laughs> oh, and uh, speaking of bad news, because hurricanes. Um, one thing, Jeff, I, I found out this week. So the the title of our our podcast is Annual Pass, right? Mm. And so the idea is, you know, you get an annual pass to go to a theme park. I found out this is apparently this is public knowledge. I didn't know this until this week, literally this week. I called Disney World this week to inquire some information about some annual pass stuff. Turns out, if you don't have an annual pass right now, you can't buy an annual pass for Disney World in Orlando. So not only are they not selling annual passes for Anaheim anymore, they're also not selling annual passes for Disney World in Orlando. So does that mean if you have one, you're grandfathered in and you can keep like renewing it every year? So I have an annual pass that expires in June because... I had the the fortunate the fortunate timing of last January, January of 2020. I went and bought an annual pass at Disney <laughs> and Universal in Orlando. 
literally that was like the start of the year, like the, like the second week of 2020. I bought that, annual passes to both of those parks. That's it, Jack. That you. That's where COVID started. It was you. <laughs> you bought those passes. When I bought those passes, I had scheduled, I think, five trips to go to Orlando between that trip in January into like into, I think, August. Like I was going to go a lot. And obviously all of them got canceled. So I used my annual pass. I spent a lot of money on these annual passes and uh, the universal one. So universal opened up earlier than Disney. So there they basically like extended my annual pass for like an additional three or four months. Disney extended my annual pass for like an additional six months Mm -hmm. to kind of make up for the lost time. But still, I don't think I will. I don't think I'm going to go. I mean, obviously not in a calendar year. I mean, I got in January. I haven't gone since, but I don't know if I'll be able to use it again until I renew it. Like, I don't I think that first year of my annual pass, I'll only use that one trip I went in January. So at least it makes a good story. Well, now we got to figure out how to get you an annual pass, Jeff. I mean, it is in the name of our podcast. They probably I, I would think would be required. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yes, sir. Exactly. That's why we're not giving you an annual pass. But it's in my name. And they're like, oh, about that. <laughs> All right. So that wraps it up for news this week. In the world of theme parks, or I guess news from a month ago, if you're listening to this live, <laughs> but that's okay. Jeff, let's go ahead and dive in to the great movie ride. Okay. I love, love, loved this ride. Past tense. The great movie ride is shut down, and it has been for a couple years now, which makes me sad, but it's understandable. I'm one of those who believes that theme parks, much like our constitution, are living documents yeah. That can be altered and amended and changed and updated. And I'm I get that. I know there are purists out there who are like Disneyland should look like it did back when it opened. And like you never touch this. And how dare you think of even getting rid of it's a small world. I get that. But I love seeing updates. I love seeing changes. And it sucks that they shut down Great Movie Ride. But the way they did it, I think it was it was really well done. And we'll, we'll talk about it. But anyway, let's talk about the Great Movie Ride. I worked there in the spring of 2002. I did the the Walt Disney World College program, worked there the spring of 2002. So most of my knowledge is going to come from that. So most of my knowledge is 20 years old. (laughs) So bear with me. So it opened May 1st, 1989, along with the studios. It was actually there when the park opened. As a matter of fact, it was the last surviving attraction to stay open until they closed it back in 2017. It was the only original park attraction still open when they, you know, that was the last one to survive up yeah. until that time. The Indiana Jones stunt show is still going on, so that still kind of counts, but a lot of people think Star Tours is there when it opened. It wasn't, actually, but anyway, we'll get into that in a future episode. The Great Movie Ride actually initially was concepted as a pavilion at Epcot, so it was actually going to be kind of like World of Motion or The Land. It was actually going to be a whole pavilion over there explaining the history of movies and how movies got made. They took that idea and Michael Eisner went like, hey, Universal is opening just down the road. Why don't we open our own movie theme park? And so they took this idea of this movie pavilion and turned it into an entire park. So Disney's MGM studio actually sort of spawned around the great movie ride, which is pretty neat. It's It was sort of seen as the icon of the park. Initially, when the park first opened, the Chinese theater which the great movie ride lives as a replica of the Chinese theater, the, the ground is Chinese theater in Hollywood. That's the front of the entrance. That was the, the icon for the park for the first few years. It was open. Ultimately, they made a horrible mistake and put a giant Mickey sorcerer hat in front of it. Pissed a lot of people <laughs> off, including me. It was, looked horrible. It was this gaudy, ugly thing. They finally got rid of that. They had the earful tower for a while. Was it meant to be there in front of it or was it just like just got in the way of the sight line? No, I mean, it, it destroyed the sight line, but I'm yeah. not an, an entirely positive as to the, the reasoning behind it. It was the 100 years of magic celebration, which happened back in like 2001, I think. I think it was Walt Disney's 100th birthday is, is what they're celebrating. Mm-hmm. And initially they had this idea of doing this giant sorcerer's hat where the ears were going to be Ferris wheels. And it was going to live in downtown Disney at the time, uh, which is now Disney Springs. And then it got moved around and bounced around. It was kind of all over. It was in front of Disney MGM Studios and then ended up right smack dab in the middle. And they're like, oh, this will be our new icon. Anyway, there's a lot of decisions there, including adding a giant hand over the Epcot ball, which looked horrible. But well, again, get into that in future times. So replica of the Chinese theater down to the handprints and signatures in the concrete in front of the actual theater. 
they've got, of course, Mickey and Minnie have their handprints in there. Uh, C-3PO, R2-D2 have their handprints. Mark Hamill has his handprints there. Bobcat Goldwaith has his handprints in front of the Chinese. These are still there today, by the way. You can go and see them now. Are they real or are they replicas? Yeah, they're real. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're they're real handprints. Uh, Hulk Hogan has his there. Audrey Hepburn has handprints at the great movie ride, what the Chinese theater in front of the great movie ride. She doesn't have them at the original man Chinese theater. Really? Yeah. They found out like apparently no one had asked her if she wanted to do it. And she like got really emotional when she was doing it in Orlando at a theme park because it was, it was a, it was a special thing. And she was pretty old at the time when she did those there. And, and ultimately the, the Chinese theater in, in Hollywood went like, Oh, we'd love to have you do it. And she's like, no, <laughs> too late for you guys. So if you want to see your handprints, you have to see it there. there. And there's, there's tons of, of awesome handprints. One of my favorites, if you go there, Pat Morita, who, who was uh, Mr. Miyagi and the, yeah. the uh, Karate Kid movies, he has a handprint. If you take a look at it, you can trick your friends with this because if you look at it, his feet are like four inches long, which it's like, what the hell? And then he realized what he did was he did like a karate chop with his hand and then added little toes with his fingertips <laughs> to make it look like he has the smallest feet ever. And so I would love showing that to guests and be like, oh, look at Pat Morita. Like, what? Ha- what? And I was like, oh, yeah. And so... Anyway, so that's the outside of it. And it had this beautiful marquee, the great movie ride. And uh, working out front, one of my favorite questions was, you know, again, the great movie ride. People would come up to us constantly, Jeff. What do you think they would ask us? Uh, where the bathroom is. Well, they would, they would ask us that, too. They would ask us all the time, is this a ride? Is this a ride? Yeah. yeah. Is this a ride? It's the great movie ride. Is this a ride? Yeah. Is this a ride? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a ride. It's a ride. So anyway, you go inside the Chinese theater. The queue kind of begins to your left, and inside of the queue was a, a ton of classic movie props, like real movie props. They had security glass on them. They had alarms that would trigger all the time when we were cleaning. But they had a pair of the ruby slippers from Wizard of Oz. They actually had a pair of those. They had a uh, one of the, the carousel horses from Mary Poppins. Ultimately, they ended up having the Ark of the Covenants from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. They had some really cool actual props set up inside of the great movie ride. I want to say they even had some like props from Pirates of the Caribbean, but they just kind of rotated different stuff throughout all the different years. It's really neat. And it was kind of a cool way to sort of get you psyched up for a kind of movie history. And then from there, the queue would continue and you would walk into a big movie theater hey, where trailers. Real quick, not to interrupt, which I just did. But did you ever get to touch the stuff? No, no, it, it was all behind glass. It was, it was literally, like I said, like we literally would trigger alarms while we were cleaning. If we bumped it, it was that sensitive. They were very careful about it. So they didn't let us touch anything. Not like on the weekend when everybody was gone nah. and you, you didn't try a jacket on. Yes. Or? The weekends when everyone's gone from <laughs> theme parks. I don't know. Like uh, after hours. <laughs> no, no, no. We had, we had some fun after hour stuff, but nothing, nothing with that. That was expensive stuff. But mm-hmm. so anyway, you go from there into a big actual movie theater where you, you know, you're just standing. It's still a queue. So you're walking back and forth. And in there, they had trailers running like classic, classic trailers from the actual movies that you would see in the great movie ride, because the whole thing in the movie ride was it was recreations of scenes from classic movies from old Hollywood to like newer stuff. Slow moving ride. I I love this thing. It was it was great. And so you'd see trailers from it was like Alien, uh, Singing in the Rain, Footlight Parade, The Searchers, Wizard of Oz. And it would just be on loop over and over and over again. It was like a 20 or 30 minute loop. And so you could kind of go crazy sitting in there too long. Thankfully, the, the ride itself loads quite a few people. So, okay. once you're done waiting, you would then be whisked away to the stage, the dock. Now, this is where you would load. So there are two vehicles, which are basically like tractor trailers, where there's like a a big vehicle in the front, and then it kind of drags another car behind it, which is a weird way to talk about ride vehicles. But that was the idea. It was basically one vehicle that kind of pulled a trailer. And then you had seven rows on each of these big two vehicles that would sit six people across, whole bunch of people, and then you had two sets of those. So you had an A show and a B show is what it was called. If it was a slow day in the park, they would get rid of the A show. We'll get into that as we go down the ride. So you walk on the stage here and the, the whole idea of the stage was this is where you are transported into the movies. Like this is where it goes from, oh, you're just kind of like they're experiencing stuff to now you're a part of the movie. So when you looked around on this dock, there were like giant old school like like par lights and, and you know, they had rigging like you would see it on a sound stage. And then there was a cutout of this, the Hollywood skyline behind you. And at the very front of it all, though, where you're pointing when you sat down was a giant, beautiful, great movie ride marquee with neon and lights and it was gorgeous and you would sit down on the ride 
the music for Hooray for Hollywood would kick in and your tour guide, which is this is one of the cooler things about this ride. You actually have a human tour guide taking you through the whole thing. So it looks like they're driving. They're not actually. That's a that's a secret. But you actually have a person who's who's talking to you throughout the ride. And so it was someone with a microphone and would explain what was going on. They controlled the vehicle as far as the speeds go. They didn't actually drive it. It was it was a like on wire kind of system like on rails. Yeah, they would basically they would stand there. And it would kick off and, you know, they would introduce themselves. And at the very end, they would always say, ready when you are, CB, which CB stands for Cecil B. DeMille, who is this mm. classic old Hollywood director. Yeah. And so you'd say that and basically you would see at that point the tour guide would give like a tip of their hat because they're actually looking at the back of the dock for the all clear. So if they gave the tip of the hat, that means they saw the all clear. That means the ride could start off. Hooray for Hollywood kicks in and off you go at a blazing two miles an hour. <laughs> Actually, it may have been four miles an hour. I think maybe a top speed was four miles an hour. So the ride is a very slow moving ride, which I like that. I always said when I worked there, it kind of felt like a ride that Walt Disney would have envisioned for a modern day mm. because anyone in the family could ride it. There was no requirements, no restrictions at all. It was cool. It was like interesting, neat visual stuff. It was fun for the whole family from kids to adults. And I liked it. It had a really good kind of heartwarming heart, like, you know, very uplifting kind of message to it. And so... Yeah. That was always my sort of go-to. I, I love that ride a lot in that in that sense. So anyway, you kick off, you you round a corner after your your host sort of uh, talks to you a little bit. Your guide talks to you. The first thing you see is this giant sort of tiered cake of mannequins of of women in uh, in swimsuits, like old school one piece swimsuits from the Busby Berkeley musical Footlight Parade. It was this enormous, enormous set piece where initially when the ride opened, it would spin around with like bubbles and water. And, you know, it was a really cool scene. Busby Berkeley did these crazy musicals back in the day where you'd have hundreds of people marching in formation. He was actually a military drill leader. Mm -hmm. And he he got hired to do these choreographies for movies that were just absolutely incredible. Google him if you ever get a chance. Some of the stuff's awesome. So scene from that, it's a, a little brief talking about musicals back in the day. And then you round the corner from there and you've got Gene Kelly singing in the rain. So this is your first full motion animatronic you see. It's Gene Kelly holding onto a lamppost, singing in the rain with water dripping and the music playing, and it's really neat. And then, you know, you would get stuck there every now and then and have to tell everyone that Gene Kelly actually had pneumonia when he filmed that scene. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was uh, I was about to ask you, like, you're controlling the speed yourself. You're the, yeah. you're the announcer. You're controlling the speed. How do you do that? So there was basically a lever with one, two, three, and four. Yeah. And you could literally, like, throw it from, like, one down to four. And there's also an E-stop, which would stop the whole thing. So four was the max speed. Typically, you go on two or four. And there were actually like little signals on the track that it knew when to stop automatically. Hmm. So it would literally like stop and kind of throw you into a neutral. You didn't have to like reset it in order to get it to go again. So what dictated you changing the speed? Was it just like how quickly you got through like your talking bits or? Oh, no, no, no. So that's the beautiful thing about this. This whole thing, the script was planned out meticulously where they knew where you should finish this line by the time your car reaches this moment. Yeah. And the great movie ride had one of the longest training periods of any attraction at the parks because you had five days of training, most of which was learning the script because it was yeah. like a 60 page script. And then you've got like three days of vehicle training and then you've got to do dry runs and rehearsals and then, you know, ultimately you get checked out and you get some cool stuff with that. But there's a lot that goes to it. And it's it was fun because you have a script, but you could also make it your own. And that's the way you intone things, the way you would say stuff and like yeah. how you would speak, how you would carry yourself would really change the sort of whole vibe of the ride. I mean, I wrote it where like I had tour guides that were horrible that were just like kind of just robots speaking lines. And yeah. then I had some where the robot are there for the robots where I had some where the tour guides were incredible and really got people into it and got it exciting. And you'd see that across the park in different different attractions where it kind of, you know, depends on who it is giving the tours. Two follow up questions then. One, were you the best guide you ever encountered? <laughs> I like to think I was pretty good. I would think you were pretty good, too. You know, if you want, you can be the judge of it. I actually on my personal YouTube channel. You can go and watch my ride. I actually recorded myself off an old VHS that my dad shot and I uploaded it. So you can actually go watch my whole spiel if you want. So I will watch it and I will I will judge you. Oh, he's a ba baby Jack. I was 20 years old, man. Other question. Do you remember the script or how well do you remember the script? I remember portions of it, not the whole thing. I actually I have 
two copies of the script. Um, I have my original copy from 2002. And then I mentioned online that I when I had worked there and someone who was working there towards the end of the attraction actually sent me the final version of the script, like the, the final updated version of the script. And how how different was it? Pretty different because AMC actually ended up taking over the uh, sponsorship of the ride towards mm. the end of it, like the last couple of years. And with that, they added in their own host. So they had Robert something. I forget his name, but there's like a host on AMC who would talk about like old classic Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. So they incorporated dialogue from him into the actual attraction. And because of that, they got rid of a lot of the actual tour guides speaking lines and they gave it like to pre-recorded lines, which makes it easier for a tour guide. But personally, I like someone live telling me the script and getting into it and stuff. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like I rewatched the video. And I'm like, oh, God, I forgot about that part. But <laughs> so anyway, from there and also right after Gene Kelly is the Mary Poppins scene. So you've got Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews doing the chim chimney, chim 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 maru or that, that whole thing. Yeah, that was the worst place to get stuck in the whole ride because you had to listen to Dick Van Dyke's British accent. <laughs> well, the thing was, so the way it worked was the, the timing of the ride was big. So that was the first sort of big big wall you would encounter. There's there's little like marks like you'd either have a green like a green circle or a red X. When everything was flowing, you would never stop. Like when everything was good, but if something happened back on the dock and like that issues loading or issues unloading, it would literally do this chain reaction where it would go all the way through because at any one time there would be five different vehicles on the track in different portions of the ride. Mm. So, if something happened back in like Wizard of Oz like towards the end, it would cascade down to the point where like you might just be stuck in a spot for a couple of minutes and, you know, at that point then you really have to perform because you have to like, you know, stall and and give, you know, give weird information facts. You have to vamp and they provide all that extra information for you. They give you some. Yeah. I, at that point you're kind of off script. They give you like here's a couple interesting facts. But that's not going to last for more than 30 seconds. So, you know, thankfully, you know, I was a film nerd. And so I was able to keep people interested in talking, blah, blah, blah. But the worst part is you couldn't advance to the next portion until you got the green circle. And so there'd be these giant doors. And if you got stuck at Mary Poppins, it was just them singing Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Marie over and over again. And it was a nightmare. But anyway, so you get past that, you move on to the underworld, which is meant to be the gangster films of like the, the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And uh, you actually see a uh, James Cagney animatronic there doing a scene. I forget the name of the movie. I think it was Public Enemy. All the kids love James Cagney. <laughs> and so there's is a scene of him outside of a door talking. You know, he's trying to get into like the speakeasy or whatever yeah. it is. And it's him talking to a guy behind the door. And initially, when they built the ride, they put him in the outfit from the movie, which is kind of like this rags, kind of like dirty outfit. But his estate, his family actually had to sign off on the animatronic because it was his likeness. And they said they didn't like the outfit. So they actually provided Disney and the Imagineers with a tuxedo that he wore. Really? Yeah. On the actual attraction, he was in this like this nice dress, the nine tuxedo. And it was because they actually the Cagney family gave it to him, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you round the corner and you depending on which ride you have, you could get stuck. You know, like the, the tour guide, like, oh, I don't know what's going on. This is weird. And then another person dressed as a gangster, an old school, like, you know, like 40s gangster pops up and they have this. You have actually have a conversation. It's a like human where you're, you're talking like the tour guide and this character Muggsy. You would talk back and forth and they would reveal they actually had a gun. Oh, my God. There's a gun, Jeff. There's a gun. <laughs> the whole idea is they basically he hijacks your vehicle. The tour guide gets off. He's like, what are you doing? And then, of course, another gang shows up. There's a shootout. The tour guide runs and hides. And now Muggsy has taken over your vehicle. And oh, oh, my gosh, what? And then you drive on because anything can happen in the movie. It's a really cool design set. There's a really beautiful car there that would pull out kind of like the Cruella de Vil style car. It's a really nice one with animatronics inside. There's a gunfight and like little like like things would pop up everywhere. And it was it was neat. And it was kind of one of those things like, whoa, all right, this is this is weird. Yeah. So. You move forward either with your original tour guide or Muggsy, go into the next area, and it's the Old West. And now you've got uh, Clint Eastwood on one side from Good, Mad, and the Ugly. You've got John Wayne from The Searchers on a horse. And this is all to scale, so it's this giant horse animatronic and John Wayne on the back of it, who's a big dude. And then uh, you pull forward, and then either Muggsy as the, you know, the gangster would be like, all right, you know, start handing me your valuables. And then like a gun, like a, a shootout would happen where there was a sheriff on one side and... There is like animatronic uh, like bandits on the other side. They would fire back and forth and you just keep moving. You keep booking it. Or if you had the A show, which is the, the more elaborate show, which I liked better, your tour guide would then come to a stop because remember, this is the original tour guide would come to a stop and then the sheriff would be like, oh, there's a robbery at the bank. 
the tour guide will get off to go check it out. And then boom, oh my gosh, there's a human. It's a cowboy and he's robbed the bank and he's got dynamite. Oh my gosh. And then the tour guide would run inside the bank. The bandit would then throw dynamite inside the bank, go run. It would explode in a ball of fire, which was really, really cool. So there's this giant fireball and then the bandit would then take over the vehicle and drive off. Were you close to the fire? Was it scary? So a little behind the scenes uh, trivia here. There's a swinging door that the bandit comes out and then the tour guide goes through. That thing was like six inches thick of fire protection and all kinds of safety measures. So it would not trigger unless you literally pushed a button on the inside saying that you were safe, like saying oh. that you were clear of any kind of fire. And even then, it was so protected. And so, I mean, because it had to happen over and over and over. It was a fireball indoors. Yeah. So, I mean, like this was really well handled, well maintained. And it was a really cool effect. Anyway, so at this point, if you're following along, you've either got the bandit or you've got the gangster taking over the vehicle, driving along. They go through past the Western scene and suddenly you're in space. That's right, Jeff. You're on the Nostromo. This is Alien, where Sigourney Weaver is fighting aliens and it's it's terrifying. And you round the corner and boom, there's the Sigourney Weaver animatronic looking back and forth, freaking out. And you're freaking out because it's, it's dark and it's creepy. And then, oh my gosh, aliens pop in from the ceiling and from the side. And they had these like, these actual animatronic aliens that would reach out for you with the whole mouth thing. And it was all super spooky and creepy and gross. <laughs> Initially, the alien from the ceiling would get so close to you that someone jumped up and punched it. <laughs> so, so because of that, he broke it. Because of that, they actually had it where the alien would not go as far down. So they actually like reworked it where it's like and so by the end of it, it was like it was so high up you could barely even see it. But yeah, initially it came down. It was like in your face. And so obviously they changed that. Another fun fact, one of my buddies who had worked there for a long time, he was a bandit and uh, he was telling me one time he was doing a show and he noticed the plaid shirt in the front row, which the plaid shirt are the VIP tour guides of Disney. OK, so if you ever see a plaid vest with a big gold like D pin. They're usually taking around like someone rich or famous. Mm. Then he looked around and he realized, oh my God, that's Sigourney Weaver. And so oh. Sigourney Weaver was riding the ride and they got to the alien scene where her animatronic was that she had signed off on. And he just looked at her in character and said, looks scared, doesn't she? And then Sigourney responded back to him. She was scared, which, <laughs> which is <laughs> kind of cool. And so that's pretty neat. That's really cool. Yeah. The, the biggest celebrity I ever gave a tour for was Blair from the Facts of Life. And she was lovely. <laughs> but, Dude, she was awesome. But other than that, like no, no big celebrities. We had a bunch of like basketball players and the football yeah. players come through. But as far as big name celebrities, I think Rosie O'Donnell showed up one time when I was working there. I didn't get a ride, but uh, I know Vanilla Ice was there one time. It doesn't get much bigger than Blair from the Facts of Life. <laughs> you, you had me there. So you go through Alien. Boom. You are into a crazy Egyptian temple thing with snakes everywhere. And oh my gosh, it's Indiana Jones and Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they've got the Ark of the Covenant, Jeff. That's right. They're lifting it out. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's snakes and it's Indy. Wow, that's cool. Round a corner and your bandit slash gangsters at the front of the vehicle looks up and sees this giant Anubis statue with a big old gym in his chest. And he's like, I'm going to get me that gym. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, they park the vehicle. They run off. They go chase after it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize there's another person standing there in a robe and they get up there and they go to reach for it. And then the person says, halt, evildoer. Those who disturb the stone will face a fate of, of badness. I forget, what, I forget what the line was. <laughs> a face a face of fate of badness. Yeah, exactly. That classic line. <laughs> but then, of course, they <laughs> shake it off like whatever. I don't care. I'm going to reach for this gym. They grab the gym. Oh, smoke everywhere. And oh, my gosh, it's crazy. Smoke covers them entirely. Then it, it reveals the smoke goes away and it's now a skeleton reaching for the gym. What happened? They died. Oh, my God. And then it turns out the person in the robe, it was the original tour guide. What? Movie magic. Really? So yeah. it was you the whole time? <laughs> yes. You vaporized two criminals into skeletons. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. I did it a lot. I killed a lot of people. While I was working. How many times a day did you do that? Well, the ride was 22 minutes, so you figure 22 minutes divided by, what, a 10-hour shift. Yeah. So it was like roughly three times, so probably about 27, 27 murders per day. You sent a lot of men to God. Yeah. So the tour guide comes back down, they retake over, it's like, oh, movie magic, ah! And then you move on, and then you talk about horror movies, which was always my favorite part, because like there's zombies and stuff in this area, and like mummies, and we would always kind of skip past the horror stuff because Universal actually did all the horror stuff. So like yeah. Frankenstein and, you know, like werewolf and all of them and you know, any like Dracula, that was all universal. 
universal. So it was like, oh, yeah, horror movies were a thing. Moving on. <laughs> and then you go from that into the Tarzan section. So you had uh, Mar- uh, Marino Sullivan, I think was her name. Okay. Yeah, Marino Sullivan was on the back of a big elephant. And then Johnny Weissmuller as Tarzan was swinging back and forth doing the classic Tarzan noise. And then there was a monkey named Cheetah there. And she would always freak out and scream and stuff. And it was always weird because she only had one nipple, which I always thought was odd that they only modeled one on her. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. Why? I, I don't know. I don't know. She also... She was one of the most terrifying animatronics because when you were cleaning, you know, obviously the ride was shut down, but she has like this this chimpanzee grimace on her face. Mm-hmm. And when the lights were off, it was really, really spooky. And so, uh, yeah, I would try to get past her. So, yeah, I mean, I've I've heard that uh, at night she roams the halls looking for her lost <laughs> Moving on from there. You then go to Casablanca. So it's the classic scene with uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. He's he's putting her on the plane so she can go off and live her life without him because he knows it's the best for both of them. A lot of people say that's actually the plane from Casablanca. Like it was, it was behind a scrim and it was made to look really pretty. And they're like, oh, that's actually the plane used in the movie. As a matter of fact, like a lot of the tour guides would say it was the plane used from the movie. It was not the plane used from the movie. Very, very obviously was not. But... One cool fact was that plane, the the back half of it, because you only see like the front half and one wing, the back half of it actually ended up at the Jungle Cruise. So there's like a plane crash. And so the tail of it, they use that as a prop of the Jungle Cruise over at Magic Kingdom. So that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And also fun fact too, Humphrey Bogart was very, very short to the point where he was actually shorter than Marino Sullivan. But because in the movie, they shot it where he was taller than her. So the animatronic is not accurate proportionally they actually made him physically larger than she was to make it match what it looked like in the movie so mm-hmm. yeah and then you leave the two uh, former lovebirds behind round a corner and it's mickey mouse that's right this mickey mouse and a scene from fantasia where he's wearing his sorcerer's outfit which is one of my favorite mickey mouse outfits you'd hear the the classic that whole bit from fantasia now, this was actually uh, a, a kind of a weird last minute addition because if you looked at the screen, it was kind of oddly shaped. And if you look at it really come from afar, you realize it was actually a twister. It was a tornado because the whole idea is this next scene is the Wizard of Oz. So you have this massive, massive Wizard of Oz set. Ah. Yeah. And so initially it was supposed to be like an opening scene of a twister where you then get caught up in the twister and land in Munchkin Land, and that's where you're at now. You're in Munchkin Land, and this is one of those elaborate set pieces in all of Disney World, where there's tons of animatronics, like tons and tons and tons of them. Is that canon? Is Wizard of Oz now officially a sequel to Fantasia? <laughs> it is. It is. Okay. And so you land in Munchkin Land, and you're surrounded by Munchkins, and you actually respond to them. So this is one of these sort of time things where your your tour guide would say like, "Oh, excuse me, sir, uh, which way do we go?" And they go, "Follow the electric road," and then everyone starts singing. And then out of nowhere, or actually, I, I take it back. They, they start singing Welcome You to Munchkin Land. And then the Wicked Witch shows up. And this was at the time in 1989, the most elaborate animatronic that Disney had made. She was super fast, very dexterous. Her fingers individually moved, which at that time, not a lot did. They usually just kind of had mouths that would open and close. But she would whip around, spin around, and uh, do some really, really cool stuff. Since the ride is shut down, that animatronic was actually used for Red at Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a new addition. She's a new pirate in Pirates of the Caribbean. So her animatronic lived on in Pirates of the Caribbean, huh. which is really cool. So you send her away. The munchkins tell you to follow the yellow brick road. You move on. You see Dorothy and Toto and the Tin Man and, and, this, and the Cowardly Lion and Scarecrow. And then from there, you're in the finale, which is this big montage of classic movies. You watch all those for a little bit. And then it ends, you go through, you literally go through the screen, you end up, you're back on the dock, and you've wrapped up the great movie ride. A long 22-minute ride through the movies, literally through the movies. Oh, I think I remembered it all. (laughs) That was a mouthful, dude. Oh, my gosh. It's it's one of the longer attractions, so not all of the walkthroughs would be like this, but uh, it was definitely a long one. So I got some trivia for you now. Now that we've been through the ride, Jeff, let me tell you some fun facts about the great movie ride. One thing interesting that uh, nowadays is completely unheard of. There was no exit through the gift shop. Literally, you would you would finish the attraction and just walk out into the park. So it was pre-fleecing. That's interesting. Okay. (laughs) 
Cool. <laughs> to, to some form or fashion, yes. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there wasn't a lot of merchandise made for this attraction, which always made me <laughs> sad. Like, Well, I imagine that the, the IP share would be difficult, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah I guess uh, the Chinese theater, they probably have a license every time they use it. But, like, even when I was working there in 2002, they started releasing, like, ride vehicle toys. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you can buy, you know, like, this is the uh, the dinosaur ride vehicle. And, like, here's the backlot tour trams. But they never released the great movie ride vehicles, which made me sad because they were actually really cool vehicles. They, I mean, they look like just basically giant rows that just move. Like, they were kind of not fantastic looking. But if you ever really look closely, one of the cool little hidden Easter eggs was the vehicles on the side were actually film strips. So they were actually made to look like film strips. And the door was like sort of the cutout on like the side of a piece of film, like 35 millimeter film. Mm-hmm. So it was like, imagine flipping that on its side. So it's like you're actually riding a film strip through the movies. That's pretty clever. I think that they yeah. should have made it's pretty clear to me that I mean, at that point, you're, you're dealing with the estates of people and stuff. So it probably gets uh, a little dicey. But they had the hero of the entire ride was you. You were the one yeah. that came in and saved the day. You turned men to <laughs> dust and to d- debris. You killed yes, yes. T- as many as 27 evildoers a day. There should mm-hmm. have been. I mean, God knows, especially as kids in the 80s and the 90s, all of our closets were full of James Cagney action figures. We could have used <laughs> and Pat Morita up to my neck and Pat Morita action figures. We could have used a Jack Patillo the tour guide there you go yeah and they changed the outfits too like when i was there we had this sweet like we had a white button-up shirt with red suspenders and like an old school like red cap i love that thing and eventually they changed it to kind of more of a plain sort of white outfit it, was, hmm. it wasn't as cool in my opinion but oh one cool thing too speaking about vehicles jeff you will appreciate this okay one of the vehicles specifically i want to say it was 11 or 8 was haunted Really? So there was one of the vehicles. Was it the monkey nipple thing? No, no, no. So back in like 89 or 90, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, no one ever actually dies at Disney World because they take them off the park and like then they declare them. There was a book about it. Yeah, I read it. That's not actually true. Like that's a lot of people say, no, people get pronounced dead at the park all the time. And the thing is, too, (laughs) think about it. You make it sound like war-torn Sarajevo. (laughs) People get pronounced dead all the time. Well, no, I mean, not not like that. Maybe maybe like one or two a year. But the thing is, a lot of people say, oh, it's like a one in a million chance someone might, you know, something bad could happen. Millions of people go through these parks every year, literally millions. So it's like stuff happens and it sucks. And sometimes you have like older people like who are on on vacation and they have heart attacks and it's like you can't prevent that. And so someone actually had a heart attack and passed away on the ride in the finale portion. So the finale is like a big movie theater. We just sit and just watch a movie. Mm-hmm. So he passed away while in the finale or at least like that's where they, they treated him and they cleared it out. And then you know, ultimately he ended up passing away. But. Row six of that vehicle is, I want to say it's 11. Row six was haunted where it was creepy because I, I typically, I'm very skeptical about ghosts and stuff, but we should do a whole show on that. But (laughs) if you did something called a dead show, which basically a dead show was where you took a vehicle through, you have to still follow like the stopping and the starting and the speeds because it keeps a flow. But if the park was slow enough, you could run a dead show where you don't put people in it. Mm -hmm. So that way you're not doing a show for like six people. Like you would just basically run a car empty. And then the next time it came around, so people might wait like an extra like three or four minutes, but it would fill up the car. When you do that, do the tour guides just use it as practice? Sometimes, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so it was also the only time a tour guide uh, would actually get to go through alien and because so, typically, like during the alien portion, the the bandit or the gangster would take over the vehicle. Oh, so it's yeah. fun to actually get to sit through and ride it. And there's some cool Easter eggs in there we'll talk about. But I was on that vehicle doing a dead show one morning before it opened, just running it around. And I was sitting uh, like on the mon- like the finale montage was running and I was sitting there just waiting. And all of a sudden my e-stop popped up, my red light popped up, which means a door had opened. And row six, where the guy died on that vehicle, the door opened in finale, which was like, oh, that's weird. I was able to, you know, restart it and stuff. And uh, I told them, they're like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the haunted vehicle. That happens. And it's like, oh, OK. So he, here's my issue with that and you. OK. We did a ghost hunting show for two seasons and probably spanned uh, almost three years. And this is the first I'm hearing about this. <laughs> well, I don't think that Disney would allow us to do an episode of Haunter at Disney MGM Studios. I still would have made for a good story around the lunch table. I suppose, I suppose. Mm. But anyway, that's my ghost story, Jeff. That, so, uh, that sounds confirmed to me, haunted. <laughs> so there's a couple things that Imagineers love doing. So Imagineers are the people who build the attractions, the designers of the attractions. 
they love hiding themselves in every attraction. So pretty much any attraction you see, more the elaborate ones, you'll typically find either like initials or numbers, like birthdays or like, you know, something special like that. In the alien portion of the attraction, there was actually like a list of like casualties and people missing. The list of names were all the Imagineers who worked on the attraction. That's so cute. that was kind of cool, like seeing the names of people. Also, if you looked in the corner of the alien section, there was a Hawaiian shirt from, I think Brett was the name of the character, Harry Dean Stanton's character from Alien. Like mm -hmm. there was a Hawaiian shirt hidden off in a corner, which is kind of neat. Uh, I always thought it was Bill Paxton's character, but it wasn't. So also hidden Mickeys are a thing, Jeff. Do you know about hidden Mickeys? Yes, I do. I learned about them last year. Ah, so there were a few hidden Mickeys, some really spectacular hidden Mickeys on Great Movie Ride. In the, or in the Raiders of the Lost Ark area, there was actually this Egyptian Mickey where Donald Duck was giving him something, like a really well-drawn-out one that mm -hmm. you would never see because it was literally opposite of Indiana Jones, so your head was facing that way. Yeah. And it was real dark in there. There was also an R2-D2 and C-3PO, like hieroglyphic in there as well. In the underworld portion, like the gangster portion, there was Mickey's feet were poking underneath some like posters that had been ripped up. Aww. So it was like an old-school like Mickey drawing, which is pretty cool. And the dock as well, like in the Hollywood Hills kind of cut out skyline, there was a hidden Mickey in there. You would like the if you ask the tour guides, it would usually like point it out with like a flashlight. And then there was one hidden Mickey. It was actually kind of cool in Muggsy's hideout. So Muggsy was the gangster who would take over your vehicle. Yeah. Initially, when the ride opened, some of the gangsters found that they could get up into like this high window area of sort of the set. And so they were just messing around and someone did a cutout of a Mickey Mouse and put it on this window that was backlit. And so it made this silhouette of Mickey Mouse, which typically Imagineers, the designers, they don't like you messing with their stuff. They saw that, thought it was pretty cool and left it. So really? that hidden Mickey was actually made from the cast members working there, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there were some other smaller hidden Mickeys too. A lot of like, you know, like beans and stuff were made in Mickeys. That also was a lot of times just the cast members walking around and making themselves. But the official ones were those big four. And yeah, they're all gone now. But that that I'll, I'll show you. We'll we'll post a photo of the uh, Mickey Mouse one in the uh, over by Indiana Jones. It was really really cool looking. So those hidden Mickeys, when they get replaced, do they just do they get like recycled back into the park somewhere, or are they just gone? I don't know because I mean these were very specific. Like I mean I'm I'm willing to bet my guess is probably one of the cast members who worked there at closing probably grabbed the one that the gangster put up. Like I'm imagining someone pulled that one down because obviously they knew how to get access to it. But the other ones were like ones built into the ride. So like the Mickey in the uh, the Hollywood area is, I mean, there's no chance that that's alive anymore. The the Egyptian one though, I imagine they had to have, have taken that or cut it out or something because it was really elaborate. And well, so- it also, I'm just learning about these hidden Mickeys, you know, because I, and I assume we'll cover yeah. it, but I, I did, I went to Disneyland for the first time in my life, like two weeks before COVID happened. And I was fascinated by the hidden Mickey thing because it's a collectible, right? And I love yeah, yeah, collectibles, yeah. whether it's video game collectibles or baseball cards or whatever. And so I've kind of jazzed and excited about the idea of them all being out there. And I, I would like to, I assume you'll jump into this at some point in the future and we'll talk about them, how many there are. If people have found them all, how many you found, uh, just the whole thing. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah. I mean, that's some of my favorite part about theme parks is like they reward people for paying attention. Yeah. Like if you see something out of place or something that shouldn't be there, it's always cool when they reward you for actually looking. So I like as a matter of fact, like there's the new um, Black Spire Outpost, which is the new Star Wars area, mm -hmm. which they have at Disney Hollywood Studios and they've got it in, in Disneyland as well. There is a shop in there where you can buy kyber crystals, which are the crystals that change like the color of lightsabers. They're like a Jedi and Sith artifact mm -hmm. in that shop. Uh, if you go and stand towards the end of it and kind of look backwards, they have an Ark of the Covenant hidden up on like an upper rail. So it's, it's like a thing you wouldn't see. But if you like know where to look, it's like, oh, there's the Ark of the Covenant. And it's like fun stuff like that. Like that could actually be the one from the great movie ride. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. But anyway, it's kind of cool. And like, Jeff, I cannot wait until you and I go to these parks and I can show you all the hidden messages and signs and hidden Mickeys. And there's so much cool stuff. You're right about it. It is so cool. Like the only other thing I can think of that comes to mind that's similar is Valve. They do a similar thing where if you look around corners in their video games, if you go through, you know, you go down long tunnels that in Left 4 Dead that don't really have a point or in mm -hmm. Portal, you will find Easter eggs and whole stories and threads that you can follow around the game that are independent of the, of the video game you're playing, you know? And I, I always thought that was really cool. And it's such a great attention to detail that you find in properties where uh, true creative visionaries 
are at the helm, I think. Disney's been very, very good about that, about putting people who are passionate about this stuff in charge of making it. There have been a few years where kind of like there were cost cutbacks and, you know, there were some downtimes where things kind of got sort of scrapped together. You look at like, you know, the Dinoland USA area of Animal Kingdom, which is garbage, but <laughs> they made it happen. So you see kind of stuff like that. But then you see like the Black Spire Outpost where they spent tons of time and they really made it feel special and unique. And I think now... I mean, Universal for the longest time was always kind of like the stepchild of like the theme park kind of world. They've upped their game considerably. And I think Disney is now recognizing that. And it's like this battle back and forth of creating these really, really cool things. Right now, Universal is dropping the Super Nintendo world, which is like the next big thing. And, you know, it's like we went from Harry Potter world to, you know, uh, Star Wars now to Super Nintendo. So now it's like kind of this back and forth. And I love it. It's a great time to be a fan of theme parks. But. One last little bit of movie trivia or great movie ride trivia. Liza Minnelli did the voice of Dorothy in the ride, which was her mom. Really? Which is kind of cool. Yeah. At the very end, like after you pass the Wizard of Oz section and you talk to the witch, you see them walking towards the Emerald City and Dorothy says, oh, like, oh, I can see it, Toto. I can see it or something like that. And that's Liza Minnelli did the voice of that version of Dorothy, which is kind of cool. That must have been a really cool moment for her in her life, I would imagine. Yeah. That being said, I can't confirm that fact, but I just read it and I didn't even know that when I worked there. <laughs> so I'm going to assume it's true. Did you hear the one about the plane? <laughs> that I can confirm is true. Yeah. One last cool thing that I liked about this is I talked about training when you're on this ride. This is one of the most elaborate training rides ever where you went through five full days of training of reading scripts and memorizing and learning how to do a vehicle and loading and unloading. There's, there was a ton of moving parts and every single person working there did every single job except for the bandits and gangsters. So the people who would take over the vehicle, they were specially trained because they are actually firearms trained Whoa. because even though those guns just fired blanks, there's still a lot of legal stuff that goes into handing a fake prop weapon to a cast member. And so you had to be specially trained to do those portions as well. And when I was there as a, as a college program, they wouldn't let us do it. I think later on, eventually they let college program participants do those roles, but I wasn't able to when I was there. But yeah, so literally you would rotate from like the front of house, like outside and like welcoming people in to inside the queue to on the dock loading to doing tour shows and like just rotating back and forth. And it always kept it interesting and good. But one of the cool things when you finally what they call checked out, you've done all of your uh, your training and your manager has signed off on you. Your training manager signed off on you. You're checked out. So you get the thumbs up that you're good to go at the great movie ride. When you checked out backstage, there was a long hallway full of handprints, painted handprints that when you checked out, you could paint your hand and put your handprint on the wall and then sign the wall with your name. And, and when you checked out and so I'll, I'll see if I can find it, but I have a photo of my handprint from when I checked out, I made a Texas flag and I put it on the wall. I signed it, you know, Jack, and it was Valentine's day of 2002. It was February 14th, 2002 is when I checked out. So that's kind of cool. And seeing like a wall lined with handprints of all these people who worked there before. Yeah. And also Tom Hanks's signature. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently Tom Hanks wanted to see how the ride worked. So they gave him a backstage tour. And yeah, he thought he's like, oh, look at all these, all these people signed this stuff. Cool. I'll sign it. So he signed his name on the wall. And they're like, uh, Tom. Uh, OK, sure. Whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But other than that, it's uh, that's it. So there you go. Ultimately, the great movie ride shut down and has now been replaced by Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which I still have not ridden. But uh, it's kind of cool that, you know, my ride I worked on has been replaced by the first Mickey Mouse ride ever. So that's kind of cool. And I'm excited to check it out. Apparently some really cool technology on that attraction as well. That is pretty so, cool. Jeff, do you have any questions for me about great movie ride? I've asked so many already. <laughs> if you could do it, like if it was there. Like, say, for whatever reason, they had a they had a spare back in storage and yeah. aliens came and they said, uh, <laughs> go go with me on this. They came and they said that we're furious with what you've done with society and we're going to decimate your planet unless unless, unless. you meet this one. Th these conditions. And of course, all the world leaders are scrambling and they're like, well, what, what, what do you need? And they're like, we're, we're aware of a, of a secret great movie ride hidden in uh, underground uh, under <laughs> under Mount Rushmore. Why build one when you can build two yeah, for and, twice and the price. Secret military base. We need it uh, operational again and we need Jack Patillo to come in without without any foreknowledge and do one last tour and we need him to nail it. Do you think you could do it if the fate of all of the universe depended on it? If you gave me a few hours to go over the script and try to get it back in my head, I bet I could pull it off. 
At least my version of it. Right now, no. The, the world would explode. Okay, well, it was good yeah. knowing you. <laughs> well, that's it again. The Great Movie Ride shut down August 13th, 2017. I wrote it one last time on August 11th, 2017. I was there. Aww. I happened to be there the weekend it shut down. I got to ride it one last time, which is pretty cool. And it was crazy seeing like a two-hour wait for The Great Movie Ride because by then... You know, it's it's a people eater. It, 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 it ran a lot of people through. So the line was never too long. Yeah. It seemed like a two hour wait kind of made me happy. Like, I mean, obviously, I don't like waiting, but it was like it was nice being there one last time. So. Was that a point of you going that to that trip or was that just happenstance? It was happenstance. I was actually there for a charity thing. And so but while I was there, it's like, oh, we can spend some extra time and go check out the studio. So did you cry? There you go. No, no. Like, I'll be honest. The tour guide I had wasn't great. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, OK. When I was funny, when I was there. As I got off the ride, I, I asked a manager who was there on dock. I didn't know anyone working there. I was like, hey, I worked here back in 2002. I'm like, I know there's no chance you're going to say yes to this, but can I go backstage and just take a photo of my handprint? And they're like, no, you can't do that. I'm yeah. like, All right, I get it. But anyway, it's a very special time in my life, and I'm really happy to be working there. Hopefully, yeah. my love of being there comes across in this. And so hopefully you, you dug my reminiscing of the great movie ride. Well, I can't speak for the audience, but I certainly did. So this is the portion of the podcast, Jeff, where usually we do a Q&A section. Yes, sir. But I I, I was a little verbose. <laughs> so. Well, you had a lot of information to get there. I mean, this is I did in some ways one of the bigger one episodes we're going to do just because it's, yeah. it's it's the heart of your personal experience working at a theme park. And I honestly, it probably won't be the only time we talk about great movie rides. So, again, Q&A. So the way it works is if you want to send us a question, email us annual pass at roosterteeth.com. Ask us a question, anything about any theme park ride ever or a general question about theme parks. Jeff and I will typically do our best to answer it. If you want to ask about great movie ride, feel free to maybe I'll do a follow up and do some like answers on that. Yeah. But again, you can email us annual pass at roosterteeth.com. So, Jeff, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of annual pass. You know what's coming up next week, Jeff? What's that? We're going to talk about Jurassic Park River Adventure. I've never heard of it. <laughs> Dude, it's it's awesome. It's it's a it's a ride at Universal Studios Hollywood and Orlando. They actually started building it before the first Jurassic Park was even done, before it was even released. It's a cool ride. It's still around. It's been updated in a couple times, but we'll get into that next week. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped for it. We're talking about movies. We're talking about theme parks. It's totally my wheelhouse. I love this. Thank you very much, Jeff, for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. If you uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well at annual underscore pass on Twitter and Instagram. And hey, if you like this podcast, honestly, the best thing you can do is give us some some likes, some feedback, some reviews, anything you can spread the word, buy some merchandise. We got some shirts up at store.roosterteeth.com as well. Word of mouth is huge. Yeah. So please spread the love on this. Uh, I'm very passionate about this. Hopefully you like it. I want to keep making it and I'll, I just want to keep dragging Jeff around <laughs> until I can finally... Uh, so finally, we can eat some some funnel cakes together. I so, can't uh, wait. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So thanks for listening to Annual Pass. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week for Jurassic Park River Adventure. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>